Good morning, everyone. It is a joy to uh, be together, and uh, what a privilege is ours to be able to come together uh, in uh, corporate worship. You know, the writer of Ephesians reminds us that the gathered church is a visible demonstration of the salvation wisdom of God. And what a joy it is together uh, today to be together to worship. Um, again, thank you to your pastors for allowing me the opportunity to preach today. And uh, so let's uh, pray before we look to God's word. And so, Lord, thank you for the truth of that great song, that it is well with our souls because, Lord, of what you have done for us. And now as we look to your word, may your spirit, Lord, cause your scriptures to come alive to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you today about an unfinished mission. Now, I've, I've got a good feeling that in a congregation of this size that there probably are represented any number of unfinished projects. Anyone want to testify to unfinished projects? How does, is Angela smiling at the moment? Someone, someone tell me. Is she, okay, all right. Unfinished projects, unfinished. You, you, now, some of you may be a good starter, but then, you know, you have some unfinished projects calling out your name, so you've actually started. Now, more of us have a different ailment. We may be the type who can't seem to actually get started. Uh, maybe you can relate to the writer of this poem, which is quite fitting for this time of the year. Uh, the poem says, I spent a fortune on a trampoline, a stationary bike, and a rowing machine, complete with gadgets to read my pulse and gadgets to prove my progress results, and others to show the miles I've charted, but they left off the gadget to get me started. And so this morning, I want to bring you to a passage of Scripture that highlights for us an unfinished task, an unfinished mission. Some of you may be familiar with the Barna Research Company, which has become the go-to source for insights about faith and culture. And last year, they conducted a study on the Great Commission and released a subsequent report called Translating the Great Commission. Now, it appears that we should not assume that most Christians can identify with the Great Commission. According to this particular study, over half of U.S. churchgoers uh, have not heard of the Great Commission. To be fair, the term Great Commission is not found in the Scriptures, as you know, but while the, great, while the term is not found in the Scriptures, it is how the church has mostly identified with Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, with Pastor Steve uh, preached to us about a few weeks ago. All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to me, and so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so the Great Commission is a term that refers to Jesus' instruction to go and make disciples of all nations. 
The Great Commission is about the spread of the gospel among all people groups. It's about preaching the gospel around the world, filling the world with Christ's teaching. And and this Great Commission is among the last recorded things Jesus spoke to his followers about. This is the great unfinished mission. Now, while most people identify Matthew chapter 28 with the Great Commission, I would suggest to us that each of the four uh, gospel narratives include some type of commissioning passage. We are given in the gospel narratives eyewitness perspectives from four different viewpoints, with each providing some additional details, yet essentially saying the same thing. And so this morning, I want to look at uh, the gospel writer Luke's account At his commissioning passage, of course, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then subsequently wrote the book of Acts. And so we find ourselves in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We'll read together verses 6 to 11. So, when they had come together, they asked, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said those things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? For this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And so, the resurrected Jesus is gathered with his followers on a mountain where where he instructs them to go go to all peoples with the gospel, the good news. And Luke tells us that the disciples had a a vital question for Jesus in verse 6, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Their question had to do about the establishment of God's rule through the nation of Israel. They are thinking of the kingdom in nationalistic terms. In other words, Jesus, will you now drive out the Roman armies and restore national sovereignty to Israel? And Jesus, as he so often did, adjusts their thinking and and alters their expectations by saying that the times and the dates of any future consummation of the kingdom of God should not really be of concern. Oh yes, there is coming a day when when the whole world will be visibly and clearly living under God's just and healing rule. There is coming a day when the glory and the rule of God will permeate every place like water. But that day is not quite yet. 
And Jesus looks at, at his questioning followers and says, I have an immediate task for you. And the immediate task is the Great Commission that Luke describes in this way, Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power and the Holy, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so here is the resurrected Jesus calling his followers to a mountain, and before leaving this earth, Jesus gave them the identity of witnesses. They were to move beyond a concern about future things, about times and seasons and dates and signs, to now focus on their new role in completing Jesus' mission. And to them comes this extraordinary news that the spread of God's rule throughout the world is to take place through followers of Jesus functioning as witnesses. Now, this is significant. Because Jesus gave his followers the, the title of witnesses or the identity of witnesses, he assumes they will witness. Because in the gospel paradigm, task flows from identity. We are not witnesses because we witness. We witness because we are witnesses. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And to us now as believers in 2019, the gospel writer Luke is instructing us as well that the time period prior to the return of Jesus is a period of witness and mission. And Jesus' instruction to us today would be consistent with his instruction to his first followers that instead of indulging in wistful thinking about apocalyptic speculation, we are to do our work of witnessing about Jesus. There's so many caught up in, in, in the Christian world, you know, trying to nail down times and seasons and trying to understand the different signs in the sky and on the earth and wondering about the, how all the end time events is going to play out and how Israel is going to work here and there. None of that is our primary concern, Jesus says. We, we, we have a task to do. God's end time timetable will work out in his way. It's not that important for us to know. Now, like Matthew's account, Luke focuses on the global scope of this great commission. But Luke's record of Jesus' final instruction also is a keen reminder to us that the great commission includes involvement across the street, in our neighborhoods. Jesus is saying, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus is referring to here is this expanding, this ever-expanding circle of influence at home, regional, global. The disciples' role is to be a witness. Their power for this task is the Holy Spirit who indwells us and guides and empowers and gifts us for this task. The task is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and the movement is both 
geographic and ethnic. And so this truly is the Great Commission, the great unfinished mission. Now, we know from Luke that there was a period of 40 days in which Jesus spent time with his followers after his resurrection. Luke describes this period as a period of of instruction, a time when Jesus gave many commands. And each of the gospel writers provides an account, as I said, of Jesus' final recorded command, the Great Commission. And I would suggest to us this morning that, that Christ's last command should really be our first concern. And that we need a relentless vision of the task Jesus has entrusted us with. I would submit to you that one of the greatest responsibilities of your pastors and the pastor, pastors of any local church is to place before you the vision of our collective call to go to unreached and unengaged people with the gospel, both around the world and across the street. You know, I've, I've spent my entire life in and around the established church, and I've, I've provided pastoral leadership for more than 20 years and established churches, and I've come to understand that it takes an enormous amount of resolve and energy to keep a church on mission. And without an intentional strategy combined with some stubborn resolve, churches inevitably turn inward. I I concur with Stuart Briscoe, who said the qualifications of a pastor include the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. Nostalgia is a powerful force that has the potential to hinder a church's health and growth. And Trevin Wax writes that the pull of the past is a good yet dangerous thing. Its force can either serve as a slingshot whereby we pull back into the past in order to gain the force necessary to be propelled forward on our mission. Or its force can serve as a black hole that sucks up all of our energy and emotion until our present and future are swallowed up in a void of hopelessness. Brothers and sisters here at Calvary Baptist, the Great Commission confronts our bent and my bent to make things about us, about our comfort and and my preferences and my style and and my traditions that I love and, and our viewpoints. And the Holy Spirit who empowers the Great Commission nudges us each outside of our personal preferences and our Christian bubbles to notice and care about the lost people God has placed all around us. You are a witness. It's your identity. And one of the things we need to consider about this call to be a witness is the term cultural engagement. Engaging culture means a genuine desire to understand our neighbors and to serve our community. And cultural engagement means much more than just speaking louder or slower. 
You know, if you've had the privilege of, of, of traveling to different nations of the world, and I, I've been privileged to travel and, uh, to, to some African nations, for example, uh, where, where we can't communicate all that well, I only speak English, and sometimes we have this, this funny thought that if what we're trying to say, if we say it slower and louder, that all of a sudden they'll hear it. You know, what's your name? What is your name? Isn't that what we think that will work? They can't understand the language, so say it slowly and louder. Well, we, we sometimes think that's what it's like to communicate the good news of the gospel to people, to lost people. Have you forgotten what it's like to be apart from Christ? The world needs you to remember. The person across the street needs you to remember. We can get so used to talking to the already convinced that we lose our sense of what it means to talk to someone who isn't a follower of Jesus. Being a witness starts with a genuine desire to understand people and culture. This is cultural engagement. Cultural engagement is relevant to our call around the world and across the street. This is about trying to understand cultural influences and and what, what forces are shaping people and communities. Understanding real people and their thoughts and their views. And good gospel, a good gospel engagement question is, what commonalities exist among people in this particular time and space? Now, let me also caution that while Jesus' call to be a witness involves cultural engagement, let's not forget the gospel. Does anyone here, anyone here today wearing Tom's shoes? Now, I don't mean that you know someone named Tom and you've got their shoes on. That's a different problem. I'm talking about the brand, the brand Tom's Shoes. In, in 2006, American traveler uh, Blake uh, Muskoki befriended children in Argentina and, and found that they had no shoes to protect their feet. And so wanting to help, he created Tom's Shoes, a company that matches each pair of shoes purchased with a pair of new shoes to a child in need. One for one. Great idea. Excellent business concept. Think about that for a moment. What does it look like when cultural engagement and social justice gets detached from actually sharing the gospel? What it looks like is that we'll buy Tom's shoes, but we'll not witness to Tom. And so let's think about this some more. It's been noted that we live in a very cause-driven society. And so local churches like ours can, 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 local causes, sorry, can be a good connection point for local churches like ours. And local churches should get behind local causes. Why? Because we want to be good neighbors. We, we want to love and serve our neighbors and neighborhoods. But if we're not focused on the gospel and 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 evangelism, and and if we lose sight of our identity as gospel witnesses, the cause becomes the end and slowly crowds out the distinctiveness of Christianity. And so, as we join with other local churches in our city to engage culture, may the causes we support never replace the cross. 
If we allow evangelism to be derailed by a tunnel vision approach to social justice, then we become just another activist organization with religious signage. Again, Trevin Wax writes, we need to be intentional about creating cultural engagement to the Great Commission, about connecting cultural engagement to the Great Commission. For when cultural engagement is separated from the Great Commission, engagement becomes just about cultural acceptance. Now, let me return to what I believe is the most important takeaway this morning. And it's this. A passion for mission, a desire for reaching people, for making disciples, cannot grow apart from a deepening understanding of our identity as witnesses. We so often think of missions and of witnessing and of evangelism as something that we do rather than something we are. Our passion for missions and our concern for the nations and our concern with witness flows from our identity in Christ. And the most important place to go looking to discover and understand who you are in Christ is the Scriptures. And focusing on our identity means we need to prioritize God's Word over God's world. We need to be people with Bible-soaked minds and imaginations who are grounded in God's story. I read the following quote in an article about cultural engagement that said, If you know the songs of the world better than you know the great hymns of our faith, then the world's soundtrack will have a greater effect on you than the church's. If you've seen certain movies or shows so many times, you can quote from them, but have not committed to memory passages of Scripture, uh, such as the prayer Jesus told us to pray, or the Psalms that served as Jesus' prayer book, or the sermon that describes Jesus' kingdom manifesto, then the sermons of the world will be closer to your heart than Scripture. For listen to me, friends. The Great Commission does not start with a desire to know culture better, but it starts with a desire to know God's story better. Because God's story, if you get into God's story, that will propel you on to mission and witnessing. I would submit to us that simply hearing details about missions or evangelism doesn't really fuel missions activity or sustain a type of missionary program. Author and pastor Mark Dever writes about the information booth version of the Great Commission. And here's how it works. You know, you, you show up on Sunday to receive a download of information and then spend the rest of the week better informed, but not better connected to other believers or connected to mission. That's how an information booth works, right? You, you walk up to a desk, you ask your question, you walk away better informed, you perform your duty, now you can get on with your business. Again, I've returned from Africa several times and, and had the privilege and joy to report to, my, to, to a local church. And, you know, you share the pictures, you tell about the stories. And, and what does it do? It creates a little bit of interest and excitement for that service. Maybe for a few days after. But information alone 
information alone doesn't cause us to really have this missionary impulse, this desire for the nations, this desire for the people across our streets. Information alone won't do it. It's understanding. It's having an ever-deepening revelation of your identity as a follower of Christ that fuels mission and creates and sustains missionary passion. I mean, in, in Matthew chapter 28, in that commissioning passage, the passage is given, the, the commission is given in the atmosphere of worship. You'll remember that they, they worshiped on that mountain, and then the commission is given. At the end of Luke chapter 24, and in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, in that commissioning passage, you have the language which says, you are my witnesses, and you will be my witnesses. That's, that's relationship language. That's identity language. Witnessing missions, a concern for the nations, is birthed from our identity. If you don't know who you are in Christ, and you've not spent meaningful time prayerfully discerning who you are, then witnessing and evangelism will seem like just another thing that you have to do, something that you have to check off. We need our focus, we need to focus on our identity as witnesses, not the task of witnessing, because task is birthed from identity. You see, the disciples did not become witnesses because they engaged in the activity of witnessing. Instead, they engaged in the activity of witnessing because they were already declared to be witnesses. We speak of Christ because we are of Christ. We witness because he has declared us to be his witnesses. We have a passion for the Great Commission because we are united with the one who gave it. And so, friends, we should take note that Jesus' commission here in Luke Acts is not just go and tell, but it's first go and wait. What, that, what might that mean for us? Go and wait. Go and wait. Go and, go and press into your identity in Christ. Go and, go and search the Scriptures and see what God says about who you are. Go and wait and ask for the power of the Spirit to, to work in, in your life. Luke is reminding us of the Holy Spirit's role in enabling us to live up to the identity Jesus has given us. You are not alone in this task. Isn't that good news? This, this unfinished mission is empowered and it's sustained not by your efforts, not by our strategy or our ingenuity, but it is empowered and sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells every single one of us. And our identity of witnesses leads us to the activity of witnessing only as the power of the Holy Spirit enables I mean, don't forget that wonderful promise that we all like to quote that, you know, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Notice the context in which that's given. That promise that we all love is given right in the context of the Great Commission. And I would suggest to us, friends, as a local church and as believers, that the presence of Jesus is never more real or more sweet or more precious than when we individually and collectively are on mission for Jesus Christ. That means that witnessing is not first about strategy. It's not first about methods. It's, it's not about waiting for a local church to come up with a new program. It's about identity. 
It's about relying on a person. It's about us setting the sail, but God sending the wind. And so in the Great Commission, Jesus leaves us with his enduring charge, a charge resting on his power, blessed with his presence, and purchased by his blood. And because God cares about the Great Commission, we should care too. We should care too. Are you, are you functioning as a witness? Are you functioning as a witness across the street, in your neighborhood, in your community? So by way of, by way of conclusion, let me offer then in this context a brief word about Mile One Mission. Some of you will know that I'm currently employed by you. You're my boss. To help the efforts of Mile One Mission, and we'll talk more about this in, in depth at, at, the, uh, at the annual meeting, the church business meeting. But Mile One Mission is a mission of this church. And Mile One Mission exists because of the Great Commission. Because of the great unfinished commission of Jesus. It exists as a way to help us as a local church press into our call to be witnesses. Now, what is Mile One Mission? Mile One Mission exists as an answer to the question of how will we as a local church reach more people with the gospel? That's the question Mile One Mission is trying to answer. How can we, as a local church, reach more people here across the street, in our neighborhoods? That's the, that is the question. How can we better influence neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Mile One Mission seeks to answer that question by saying that we can better reach new people by starting new gospel-centered neighborhood churches. And so Mile One Mission seeks to help start and support new communities of believers. New neighborhood churches. And so a couple of things about this strategy of reaching new people with new churches. Because often when you talk about this with, 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 with church people, often the response is, sure goodness, we got enough churches now. You know, go across this city and there, there's lots of room. Lots of room and all that. That's, that's, often, that's often the case. Well, let me say a couple of things. First, research has proven time and again that new churches are the best way to reach new generations, new residents, and new people groups in a city with the gospel. In fact, they are up to six to ten times more effective at attracting people to the gospel than older, more established churches. Research after research after research. And so while we need existing churches to grow and to stay faithful to gospel ministry, we need, according to the research, many new churches to reach the growing numbers of people in our cities who do not know Jesus. The second and most important thing I would say about this strategy of reaching new people by starting new churches is this. 
It's the Bible strategy. It, it's, it's, it's the scriptural way. The story of the spread of the gospel is the story of the spread of churches. You have time this week. Go, go, go and read the book of Acts. Read, read the book of Acts again and note the linkage between the gospel coming to new people and the establishment of churches. The story of the spread of the gospel is the story of the spread of churches. Wherever the gospel goes, churches show up. And churches, we must own the Great Commission because God is on mission and God's mission has a church. And from a hillside overlooking the great city of Jerusalem, Jesus, like no one else could, he casts this compelling global vision of making disciples. The first followers of Jesus pursued this vision. How? Through the planting and establishing of local churches. And it's clear that God's plan from the beginning included the planting of churches. And the story of these churches is woven throughout much of the New Testament. And it was in these new local gatherings that believers met to hear God's word, to pray and to grow, and then mobilize to reach others. Now, when we forget, when, when a local church forgets that last part, because we've got the, 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 the first steps down right, you know, we we, we get together, we hear God's word, we pray, we grow. But when we forget to mobilize to reach others, that's when a local church starts to die. And so that's what Mile One Mission, that's what this church, that's what you have decided to do, to mobilize to reach other people. This is, this is not about filling existing buildings for the sake of filling existing buildings. This is about going into neighborhoods where there's no current gospel presence and, and, and trying to start a new community of believers to try and reach people with the gospel. That's, that's the call. And that is what we're called to do. And so, friends, let me finish up. How many times have I said that? I mean it this time. Before I lead us in prayer, let me, ask you, let me ask you these three questions as we think about our call to be witnesses. First of all, how, how are we marginalizing God in our lives? If, if witness and mission is first about diving into God's story, if, if witnessing and, 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 and mission is not first about diving into culture, but diving into God's story, how are we marginalizing God in our lives? How are you marginalizing God in your life? Secondly, how is the Lord calling you to service across the street? How, how is God calling, and I would add, how is he equipping you to service across the street? How is he calling you to, to, to join him in service through the ministry of this church? And finally, how are you or how will you express your care for the glory of God and the joy 
of the nations in the Great Commission. Friends, you are His witnesses. And the call of the Spirit to us this week is to go ahead and be what you've become. You are a witness. Now go and be witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for the empowerment of your spirit. We're thankful that we are not alone in this great mission of reaching new people with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Empower us in fresh ways. Empower this church in fresh ways to be what you've called us to be, witnesses for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.